You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning, church. Uh, For those of you whom I have not met, my name is Tamarcus Raglan. I'm one of the ministers here on staff. Uh, And as always, it is such an honor to be here to open up God's word with you this morning. Uh, If you are watching online, welcome. We love you as well. And uh, as we just heard, uh, this is the season of Advent, which means Christmas is upon us. Uh, Hopefully y'all are done buying your Christmas presents. I am not. Uh, I am a gift-buying procrastinator. Uh, Anybody else? A few people? Sweet, I'm not alone. Uh, I give thoughtful gifts, but delayed nonetheless. Um, So that means that Target, same-day pickup, Amazon, two-day delivery, and same-day delivery are common graces that I take advantage of often, uh, to the point where receiving my same-day delivery the next day is like a point of frustration, uh, sad to say. Uh, God is still working on me in that, that way. In fact, just the other day, I got a notification that a package that was supposed to be arriving that day and was out for delivery. Uh, immediately following that message, I got a message that said it was delayed and still in Memphis. And I must confess that I was uh, disproportionately upset with FedEx uh, over this. And if it, that's not embarrassing enough, the package indeed ended up coming that day anyways. Uh, But it exposed something to be true about me, which maybe is true about you as well. Um, Amazon, Target, and much of our culture has discipled us into this kind of uh, impatience, right? In a world of instant and automatic gratification, right? The idea of having to wait an additional five minutes for your Starbucks pickup order that should be ready right now and isn't just feels unbearable, right? And yet, we come to a place like this, and we hear things like, wisdom has a pace, and it's slow, and we grow wise over time. And there's a disconnect between the kind of thing that the Spirit calls us to in a place like this, and what the world is telling us uh, we should be expecting in life. Because reality is, we are not just being formed to be impatient for our Amazon packages. Uh, But in all of life, even when it comes to the promises of God, we all know that waiting on Amazon packages aren't the most severe kind of waiting uh, that we do in life, right? We wait for much more severe and urgent things. Uh, Many of us are waiting on brokenness in our families to be healed and restored, or we're waiting on healing in our bodies uh, to be restored. We're waiting on justice to be established uh, throughout the earth. And the list goes on and on of things that we might be waiting for God to move and respond in. And you see, to live in a world outside of Eden necessarily means that we are a hurting people and we're also awaiting people. We hurt because life outside of Eden is broken and it's been marred by sin, and so we suffer harm from the sins of other, and we ourselves participate in reciprocating sin uh, of our own. And we also have to wait, because while God in his mercy and kindness has promised that he will one day make all things new, and he's even begun to do so at this very time, uh, the work is not complete. And so as Paul writes in Romans 8, uh, we know that all of creation groans together with labor pains until now. 
Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves. Why? Because we're eagerly waiting for adoption and for the redemption of our bodies. The world is broken. We're broken. God has promised to make all of it right, and he will, but we must wait. You see the tension in a world that has spoiled us with the expediency of same-day packages, our muscles for patience have started to atrophy. We want relief and we want it now, and when relief feels too long delayed, we can have a tendency to manufacture it ourselves, and this only leads us to more pain and more suffering, but there is a better way. And this morning, uh, it is our main idea and the singular uh, point of this sermon we want to thread throughout, and it is this, um, wait on Jesus. It's a simple solution, but a difficult discipline. Uh, It may make us look like fools to those around us that we would wait on Jesus in this way, or uh, other people's manufactured fixes might seem uh, like a better option uh, at the time, but what the scriptures are going to challenge us and invite us to this morning is to wait on Jesus for the true comfort that comes from heaven. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Um, And as we just heard it read, um, as you turn there, I just want to situate us in the text a little bit. Uh, So over the past few weeks, we've been in our Advent series walking through and looking at uh, various uh, biblical characters as they encountered Jesus in his first coming. So first we look at Mary, Jesus's mother. Um, when she received the news uh, that her, her baby boy would uh, be coming. Secondly, we, last week we got to look at Zechariah, who uh, received word that he would be a father and would be uncle uh, to uh, the, the son Jesus that would be born to Mary. And today we get to look at Simeon and Anna, who are of no blood relationship to him at all. And one thing that the former two had uh, in common, besides being related to Jesus uh, by blood, was that they were surprised by what was revealed to them uh, when the angels came. Mary was not expecting to be pregnant uh, before she had married to the Savior of the world, nor was Zechariah expecting Elizabeth to give birth after having been barren for so many years to who would be the forerunner of the Messiah in John the Baptist. And there was a similar lack of expectation uh, around many during that time in the land. It had been many years since the people of Israel had been in any power and there wasn't a whole lot of prospects that they were coming back into it anytime soon. And so as they were waiting on this promised Messiah to come, many of them uh, begin to wane and to fall into impatience. Many gave into the inevitability of Rome and that looked like them uh, taking matters into their own hand and trying to bring it by force. Some just lost hope altogether and remained scattered and discouraged. And then there was a remnant uh, like the two that we're about to see this morning um, who demonstrate what it means to wait on Jesus. Look at me. uh, Look with me at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Three things we are revealed uh, about Simeon in this passage. First, the scripture tells us that he is righteous and devout. Is he perfect? No. Sinless? 
no one but Jesus. This isn't meant to highlight his excellent moral conduct as much as it is meant to highlight his unwavering faith in submission to Yahweh. This was a man who loved and cherished God. A man who even when caught in sin would agree with God about his sin and be quick to confess and repent from it. His desire was for God and not for cheap imitations of him, which is made evident in the second descriptor. Simeon was looking forward to Israel's consolation. In Greek, looking forward is one word, and it uh, embodies this idea of waiting in eager expectation to receive something. Half of all of its occurrences in the New Testament are in Luke's writings, here in the Gospel of Luke and also in Acts. Uh, And one commentator describes Luke's writing in this way, uh, that he was adamant about testifying to the steadfast faith of common people in fulfillment of messianic hope. And Simeon was one such person. He wasn't just waiting on any old consolation or comfort that comes from the world or even from his own doing, Uh, but Simeon was waiting for the Messiah who had been promised long ago all throughout the scriptures, especially in the prophets. Thirdly, we learned that the the scriptures tell us that Simeon uh, had the spirit upon him. We're told that the spirit spoke to him, right, telling him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. Not only that, but it was the spirit that guided him to the temple this day when he saw Jesus. Could it be that Simeon, led by the spirit, patiently waiting on the Messiah to come, looking forward to the comfort that only comes from him because he is intimately uh, and intrinsically aware and in relationship with the one he was waiting for? Might that be the case? Um, Flip it around. When we think about our own impatience, right, could it also be true that hurting and impatient as we are, that we find it difficult to wait on Jesus because our imagination for what we are waiting for is too thin? I find this to be true in my own life at times, right? When I feel anxious or overwhelmed by life and I take my eyes off of Christ and what he's done and what he's doing and ultimately plans to do, uh, I can turn to cheap imitations, I just need to you know, relax for a little bit and clear my mind. So I scroll on social media or whatever it is for hours. Uh, maybe I just need to um, do a little shopping therapy and just get out of the house and get some time to myself. Or maybe I'll you know, just, just relax and have a drink and cool off and you know, things will be fine. And while all of these things may not seem that big of a deal in and of themselves, they become lousy places to bring our hurts and our pains, especially when this becomes a pattern of doing so. Maybe even it's, you know, sometimes I, I'll, you know, go and have conversations uh, with people in my community and we're, we're talking about God, but I haven't talked to God about what's going on. Have you been there? Talking a lot about God, but not talking to him about our problems and what's going on in our life. Uh, this problem wasn't, isn't new to us, but has been uh, a struggle for God's people for a long time. Uh, if you remember the people of Israel, when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to receive the instructions for the tabernacle, the people grow impatient with Moses and God. We don't know what they're doing up there. We don't know when he's coming back. And so they demand of Aaron that he makes for them a golden calf. Why? So that they could have a God who would be with them. All the while, Moses is 
on the mountain receiving instructions from God on how to build this elaborate tabernacle so that the true God could be with his people. We all share the same plight when we grow impatient. We don't want to wait on God, so we seek to attain what can only come from God by making little gods of the things he's made. What did Simeon know that we didn't? What was he clinging to that slips through our fingers? What allowed him to cling firmly to the hope of Israel's consolation instead of settling for cheap imitations? Well, Scripture says that he was devoted to and confident in the promises of God. And we see this evidenced in verse 27 through 32. It says, And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. As we read earlier, it had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah with his own eyes and God delivered on his promise. Devout Simeon following the lead of the spirit, ready to receive was in the right place with the right posture because he was trusting in the right promise. Mary and Zechariah, though they were shocked by the providence of God, we see Simeon here anticipating the fulfillment of the promises of God. And he erupts in praise as he takes Jesus into his arms. And the beautiful thing is Simeon was not only clinging to the special revelation he received from the spirit that he would see the Messiah, but he was also clinging to the special revelation that he was acquainted with in God's word. And we see evidence of that in the way that he responds. Simeon was acquainted with the promises of God that had been revealed throughout the prophets. And so listen to the parallel, right? He uh, spurts in 30 through 32, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. While these are not direct quotes from Isaiah, they echo the heart of Isaiah's words as only one could if you've been steeped in it. Isaiah writes in chapter 52, verses 9 through 10, Be joyful and rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people and he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Simeon responded appropriately in praise because he had been devoted to and confident in the promises of God. And keep in mind, He is encountering here a pre-resurrection, pre-crucified, even pre-earthly ministry Jesus. And yet he speaks of him as if he had already completed all of the work. Simeon knows God and he knows that while we are bound by time, God is not. If his confidence had been in money or politics or any other thing that's not God, it would have been strange for him to have this kind of confidence beforehand because we know the things in this world fail us. There was a point in time when Sears was as sure of an investment as Apple is today. Some of you younger folks in here might not even know what Sears is. It was like, it was like Amazon, but like brick and mortar, kind of, right? 
You could get your car fixed there. It was an interesting place. Um, Needless to say, what was once the world's largest retailer today has but a meager amount of stores and has become, in many ways, a fading memory. And it stands as a testament that even what seems to be a sure thing in this world has a broken track record. But God has a perfect track record. When it comes to keeping his promises, he has remained the world's most faithful Lord from generation to generation. So even if there remain promises to be fulfilled, we can look back on what he's already done, knowing that he will remain faithful to do what he's promised to do in the future. Simeon knew that the promises of God are like whispers from the future, assuring us that the work's already done. And so he shouts, my eyes have seen your salvation as he looks at Jesus as just a boy. This kind of confidence grounds us, especially when we live in a world where life can be as hard and unsure as it often is. So we don't have to give in to the political pressures towards outrage and disunity in election years, which this one may surely be uh, willing to bring, but rather we can cling to the promise of our true king who sits on the ultimate throne everlasting and is working all things out together for our good, even when earthly rulers and leaders aren't. We can forgive rather than seek revenge when we've been harmed by the sins of others because we trust and believe that the judge of all the earth will do right even if people won't. We don't have to take matters into our own hands because we trust that all things are in his hands. And the evidence of this as it spurts out in our life that our confidence is in uh, the one true king proves itself in our prayer life. Are we taking taking our problems and our concerns to him? Because as our knowledge and confidence in the object of our faith deepen, so does our stamina for waiting strengthen. But Simeon doesn't just cling to the happy parts of Revelation, but the difficult and the complex parts as well. You see, he's strengthened in his waiting on Jesus because he knows that God will deliver on his promises and he has a proper expectation of the pain that accompanies the waiting. Look at verse 34. After Simeon saying these words over Jesus, Mary and Joseph were amazed Uh, at what they had heard. And in order to help them have a proper expectation of the days to come, uh, he again echoes words from the prophet Isaiah. Simeon tells um, the parents of Jesus this, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Very similarly, Isaiah wrote in uh, chapter 8, verse 14, he will be a sanctuary, but for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For the first time in the Advent narratives, Mary uh, is told of the tension that her baby boy is going to cause among the people. Though he is indeed Israel's consolation from heaven, Not everyone in Israel will receive him that way. In fact, they will oppose him even to the point of death and her very soul will be pierced. Put simply, though Mary was given the incredible honor as the mother of the Messiah, she too would not be exempt from the pain that accompanies waiting. 
Here lies another difficulty that we can face while waiting on Jesus. If we do not acquaint ourselves with the full story of Scripture and the promises that it holds, we can allow the world to create meaning for our pain rather than the Bible. Right? We, we live life, we're waiting on Jesus, and when things don't go as we think they should or according to plan, we can be tempted to believe that pain in this life means that God is not good or he's not powerful enough to handle the evil that plagues us. Or maybe we can be tempted to believe that all pain in this life, in this life is a sign of God's uh, disapproval. And when we become convinced that God's plans aren't working or that he's not for us, we begin to resort to our own plan B's. And this is one of the reasons why it is so vital to be devoted to the teachings of Scripture so we can have an appropriate view of suffering and an appropriate response to it when it arises in our life. Because suffering is a fruit of living in a fallen world, and it doesn't prove the inadequacy of God to fix it, but rather it highlights our desperate dependence on God to fix it. The problem is much bigger than we often may think or imagine or that any of us could handle individually or collectively. We need God. And all throughout Scripture, we discover that the righteous response to this kind of pain and suffering in our life is always to move towards him for grace and mercy and not to turn away. And I want to slow down for a moment so you can hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that the pain you may be experiencing or have experienced is not that painful, right? I'm not saying that your pain is so small that it should be easy for you to trust God. No, I'm saying your pain is too great to trust you with it. We are all often in more trouble than we can even realize. And the only person that is capable of carrying that kind of weight and providing the kind of comfort that we need is almighty God. It's, it's actually the fact that we, dim, we diminish our pain when we attempt to offer it cheap comforts instead of the God of all comfort. Um, earlier this year, um, for the first time in my life, I learned firsthand what it felt like to be crippled by anxiety and depression. Uh, I was not well, and I had not been well for a while, apparently, and my body was beginning to let me know it in a number of ways. And here's the thing. I... I needed my community to come around me in that season, but I needed more than my community. Um, I needed counseling and some techniques and things to, to get me through, but I needed more than those things as well. Throughout that season, I learned what it meant to wait on Jesus moment by moment for comfort and relief. And when symptoms arose again to cry back out, and what I found was even though the struggle was real, God was with me in the struggle. And what I love about our passage this morning is that our second recipient, Anna, models this very kind of dependence on God and has done so for a long time. Here's what the scripture tells us about her in verses 33 to 37. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. We know that between the time of the Old Testament and the New, uh, that there had been an absence of prophets in many ways. And here we find a prophetess who we are told was an elderly widow. She had been married for seven years to her husband, 
and has now been without him for decades. Anna is acquainted with the pain that accompanies waiting. Luke goes the extra mile to inform us that she, like Simeon, was faithful and devout, for she did not leave the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. This was the regular rhythm of her life. Anna was lonely and truly in need, and she was desperate for God. And rather than drowning her sorrows and empty comforts that are too weak to carry her pain, the Bible says that she did not depart from the temple, but she worshiped with fasting and prayer night and day. Um, When I was a youth pastor some years ago, God placed an Anna figure in my midst. His name was Jaron Suber. Uh, We called him the Superman. Uh, And this young man, uh, he was special. Uh, He wrestled with brain cancer from a very young age um, and was even told that he probably wouldn't see the age of 18. And while he beat those odds, uh, and we did get to see him graduate high school, he passed uh, not long after. And uh, during this time when he was uh, declining, he had a conversation with his mom that she shared with us. uh, And he told her, he said, Mom, I need you to tell my fans something. Uh, He had a good sense of humor. And she was like, boy, what fans? He was like, Mom, trust me, I I got fans. Uh, But I need you to tell them something for me. And she was like, all right, what is it? He told her, he said, make sure you tell my fans that no matter what, following Jesus is always worth it. Um, And to this day, the faith of that young man is still teaching me what it means to wait on Jesus even when pain accompanies the waiting. Uh, And as I prepared this morning, and even as I stand here and look out at your faces, there are so many more uh, Anna figures in this room. Uh, Those of you who, like her, have lost a spouse, or maybe a child, or a parent, or someone who occupied enough space in your heart that when they left, it left a hole. And many other types of, of, of sufferings and pains And what's true is there's so many different ways you could have responded in that season that wouldn't have taken many of us by surprise. Um, And instead, what we see often is that you're here worshiping even after service and praising the Lord day and night, just as Anna did. We see you here at night of worship, not only praying that the Lord will continue to bring you comfort in your pain, but praying on behalf of others that the the comforter uh, of all would extend the same comfort to them. You, like Anna, exist among us as a testament that waiting on Jesus is possible even when pain accompanies the waiting. And here we see Anna found at the temple, faithful just as Simeon was, and she too gets to encounter the incarnate Son of God. Look at verse 38. It says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna, who had been comforted by the God of all comfort, was comforted so that she might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort her herself had received from God. And like Simeon, we hear the echoes of promise on which her hope was founded. Be joyful and rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem, waiting on Jesus with sorrow in her heart. She was compelled by God to herald his good news to those around her who are also hurting. 
You see, both Simeon and Anna knew that the comforter they encountered did not intend on the comfort to terminate on them, but that it would spill over. And his desire was that all of the earth would hear of this true comfort that has come from heaven. And here's the deal. Uh, At this point in the sermon, there's two possible directions you could find yourself. One could be um, that you see yourself in in Anna and Simeon in a lot of ways. You empathize with the pain because you yourself have felt it and uh, you've been spurred on to continue to wait on Jesus in faith um, and trust that he will deliver on his promises. And I praise God and, and encourage you to continue on in that way. Or maybe you've struggled to see yourself in either of them um, and you feel discouraged because, uh, like me, waiting on Amazon boxes impatient, impatiently, you struggle to, to wait on Jesus in a way that we see modeled by them. And instead, we've settled for uh, imitation comforts. Either way, there is good news available that we all need and are invited to receive in Christ. And it is this, that there is grace and power that only comes when we know, love, trust, and obey Jesus. And that invitation is extended to all who hear, that saves us from sin and death, and it comforts us while we wait on Jesus and for him to return. Through Anna, we see the tender grace of God that sees and hears even the lonely and lowly widow's plea and turns ruins into redemption. And praise be to God, please hear this, even when we are lousy waiters, that our redemption is not dependent on the quality of our waiting, but on the love, mercy, and power on the one on whom we wait. So we are invited to receive his grace this morning. But not only that, like Simeon, all of us, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, receive power by the spirit that dwells in us and provides all that we need for life and godliness while we wait on Jesus to return. It is the Holy Spirit, the comforter from Jesus that he sent after he rose from the dead and ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father that encourages our hearts and ensures us of the redemption and our inheritance that's to come when he returns. Because on that day, sin and death will be no more. Waiting and sorrow will be no more. And like Simeon and Anna, we will be found in the presence of God and all that will be left to say is glory to God for I have seen and now experience in full your salvation. If you're here today and you've never accepted that loving invitation from Jesus to trust him as your savior, uh, as your comforter as opposed to the imitation comforts, I invite you this morning, Jesus invites you this morning to receive from him what only he has to give. This world has no real comfort to offer, but in Jesus, we have more than enough. As the St. Augustine once said, we are made for him and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. Would you wait on Jesus this morning? Let us pray. God, we love you. Um, And Lord, thank you that you are a God who delivers on his promises. Lord God, that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful even when we're faithless. Um, 
that when we put our hope in you, when we put our trust in you, when we lean on you for comfort, Lord, some of us are leaning on you for comfort that, that only comes on the other side of eternity. And while that may seem scary, it's not when you know that the person you're trusting in has a perfect track record. We can trust the incredible promises because of the incredible person who offers them. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we, uh, in this Advent season, look forward to your second Advent, Lord, will we, would you help us? Would you empower us? Would you give us grace enough to be awaiting people? That we learn what it means to wait even when pain accompanies the waiting. That that's no testament of your heart towards us, but rather uh, we can lean into you. Your word says that we have a, an advocate even better than Moses who intercedes on our behalf. Oh God, and that we can, we can come to you even when we've been lousy waiters and find encouragement and find comfort and find grace and mercy. Lord, we need you. Would you be with us today? If there's any of us who are far from you and we've heard your call today, will we be uh, obedient and trust and know that we can, we can turn to you and that you'll receive us um, because that's the kind of God you are. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for who you are. And it is with eager anticipation that we all wait for you to come again when you finally put sin and death away once and for all. And there's just nothing left but your glory. So now we sing. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.